0: Star cruising altitude, it's time for the flyover. Welcome back to Fly Overview, a member of the Heartland Pod family, a podcast, and look at Heartland news from 30,000 feet. From the Gateway Arch to the Rocky Mountains, I'm your host, Kevin Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me today as we dive into the stories most impactful to you. Folks, let's begin today's show. (laughs) Student Loan Forgiveness. President Biden's announcement of a sweeping effort to forgive federal student loan debt. Up to $20,000 for Pell Grant recipients and up to $10,000 for others who qualify leaves millions of borrowers with unanswered questions, and some of the details won't be clear for weeks or months. Here are three big questions borrowers may have. Who will get loan forgiveness? Americans currently owe about $1.62 trillion in federal student loans. Biden's plan will provide relief to most of them, 43 million borrowers, and will completely erase the student debt of about $20 million. But who qualifies? Individuals with federal student loans who make under $125,000 per year or couples earning less than $250,000 qualify for up to $10,000 in forgiveness. That includes current students. Borrowers who are dependent students will be eligible for relief based on their parents' income. Parent PLUS loans, which are federal loans for parents of undergraduate students, are also eligible under the President's plan. Loans taken out after June 30, 2022, though, will not qualify. Qualified borrowers who receive Pell Grants are eligible for additional relief, up to $20,000. Roughly 60% of federal student loan borrowers receive Pell Grants. These grants are designed to help low-income students pay for higher education, and about a third of undergraduates with federal student loans received Pell Grants every year. Do I have to apply? In order to benefit, most borrowers will have to submit an application to verify their income. The Education Department said nearly 8 million borrowers already have income information on file and should qualify to have their debts canceled automatically. For those 8 million borrowers, that relief may come very soon. But for the remaining 35 million, more information is coming on how to apply and an antiquated system is being updated. Will my monthly payments go down? An unexpected part of Biden's announcement is a revised plan for what is known as income-driven repayment, which is designed to help people who cannot afford to make large monthly payments. Biden's IDR plan will cut the amount borrowers have to contribute each month from 10% of their discretionary income down to 5%. It will also raise the amount of income that is considered non-discretionary, thus providing more assistance. For questions about the impact of this plan, Goldman Sachs has run the numbers. Concerns that it will increase inflation are mellowed, as debt forgiveness that lowers monthly payments may be slightly inflationary in isolation, the resumption of payments that will begin again in the new year, however, is likely to offset this. The cut to 5% of income will increase disposable income, and though lower-income houses will see the largest proportional cut in debt payments, many of those households don't have student debt. The wealthy, on the other hand, are limited by the income thresholds attached to the relief, and that leaves middle-income households to benefit the most. In my estimation, most news publications are missing the meat of this plan. They focus on the flashy $10,000 to $20,000 forgiveness and spend far too little time on the truly corrective portions, like paying no more than 5% of your income, raising the amount of income that's considered non-discretionary and thus protected from repayment, forgiving loan balances after 10 years of payments instead of 20 for borrowers with balances less than 12K, and covering the borrower's unpaid monthly interest. No borrower's loan balance will increase as long as they make their monthly payments, even when a low-income makes that monthly payment zero dollars. Now those are some true fixes. An Oklahoma teacher resigns in protest of book bans. Summer Bojmir An Oklahoma school teacher said she resigned from her position as an English teacher with Norman Public Schools following controversy over the display of, and student access to, more than 500 books in her classroom. English teachers in the district were asked to review the books in their classroom libraries to see which might, quote, elicit challenges in relation to an Oklahoma law that restricts teaching about race and gender. Teachers, including herself, often personally fill and fund classroom libraries, which she called an absolutely vital resource. She states, I pay for those books. I put books on my shelves that I think would not only be appealing to students, but center stories that have traditionally been left out of official English language arts curriculum. Oklahoma's House Bill 1775 claims to stop discrimination, when in effect, it does just the opposite. According to Bojmir, teachers were asked to either box up the books they felt could be at issue, turn them around so the spines face inward and the title of the text could not be seen, or cover them up with butcher paper, for example. Bozmir decided to cover the books. She also labeled the covered books with the title Books the State Doesn't Want You to Read and placed a QR code linking to the Brooklyn Public Library on the paper covering of her books. She said also she added a label to the QR code that read "definitely don't scan." School district officials said in a statement that a parent reached out to them with a concern and they had reviewed the situation. The concern centered on a Norman Public Schools teacher who during class time made personal political statements and used their classroom to make a political display expressing those opinions, according to officials. Bozmier said the district said officials felt the label on the QR somehow made it forbidden, and we don't want to encourage students to break the law. The state doesn't want you to have access to these texts. These texts that center on LGBTQ plus perspectives, that center on people of color's perspectives, which I believe absolutely 1,000% deserves a place in our reading list, in individual curricula, and it should be centered and protected because they have been historically erased. She said after her first day of school on August 19th, she was told she would be placed on administrative leave and was not to come to school the next Monday. Me commenting on the climate of censorship and chilling implications of a rejection of free speech and free association Me commenting on that is absolutely a political choice. I stand by that. She adds that she believes classrooms are political spaces. I want to be clear, too. There's a difference between political and partisan. So I take umbrage and issue with assertions that educators should not bring their politics into the classroom. She added that the new law is designed as a trap to make it impossible for teachers to do their job. It's intentionally designed to stifle the conversations that we need to be having in the classroom around systemic inequality and around privilege. It's my desire and the top objective that I have as an educator to make my classroom as inclusive as possible. Now folks, I echo the sentiments of this educator. Why should we sit back and allow feckless men and women to tell our educators that they don't want students to face the realities of our history, or the truths of gender and sexuality that don't conform to their particular beliefs? We should embrace the critical thinker in this country, not the sempering fear-mongerers. We face a crisis surrounding teacher shortages. In Oklahoma, there was a 3,000 teacher deficit over the summer. It's not hard to see ridiculous legislation like this that assumes teachers are experts in their fields who can pick quality material for their students without a nanny state government interfering as a huge root cause of such shortages. Advocates sue to block Missouri photo ID law. The Missouri League of Women Voters, state NAACP, and two voters on Wednesday sued to block a photo identification requirement for voters. The group asked a judge to toss out the new law before it takes effect Sunday, alleging that it unconstitutionally restricts voting rights by limiting which IDs can be used to cast regular ballots. This is the second law filed this week by the Missouri NAACP and League of Women Voters challenging this law. The organization on Monday sued to block another provision of the measure that bans payment for anyone who works to help register voters and requires those volunteers to be registered Missouri voters themselves. Anyone who helps register more than 10 voters would need to sign up with the Secretary of State's office. The core of the law requires voters to show unexpired government-issued photo IDs, meaning that student IDs and voter registration cards are not allowed. The ID requirements are at the center of the latest lawsuit. Under the law, people without a government-issued photo ID can cast provisional ballots that will be counted if they return later that day with a photo ID or if election officials verify their signatures. Advocates argued that even with state help, getting the right ID to vote is not easy. Missouri Voter Protection Coalition Director Denise Lieberman said the task of getting proper ID to vote will burden thousands of Missourians who do not have or will face difficulty getting the limited ID required to cast a regular ballot. Disproportionately, voters of color, seniors, voters with disabilities, young voters, and low-wage workers. The Missouri Voter Protection Coalition and the American Civil Liberties Union of Missouri are representing the plaintiffs. We should be working to reduce barriers to participation for these communities, not making it harder to vote, Lieberman says in a statement. The lawsuit cites two Missouri women who do not have state photo IDs. One has been struggling with bureaucratic hurdles after her name was misspelled on her non-driver's state photo ID card. The other woman does not drive because she has epilepsy and mobile issues. Missouri's GOP legislature approved the law this year amid renewed national emphasis on election laws. Democrats in many states have sought to expand voter access following widespread mail-in voting during the COVID-19 pandemic affected 2020 elections. Many Republicans have pursued new voting restrictions following former President Donald Trump's lie that the 2020 election was stolen from him. Seventeen states beside Missouri had photo identification laws in effect as of this spring, according to the National Conference of State Legislatures. And 19 states had identification laws that accepted proof other than photos. A spokesman for the Missouri Attorney General's office, which defends state laws against legal challenges, declined to comment on the lawsuit Wednesday. <laughs> Former Tennessee House Speaker Glenn Casada and Aide indicted on bribery and kickback charges. Former Tennessee Republican House Speaker Representative Glenn Cassada and his chief of staff were arrested at their homes by FBI agents Tuesday morning after a federal grand jury on Monday issued an indictment on 20 counts involving bribery. Theft from programs receiving federal funds, kickbacks, conspiracy to commit money laundering, and other charges. If convicted, each faces up to 20 years in prison. Casada remains a state representative, though it is unknown whether he will continue to hold his seat after the indictments. The charges stem from a scheme to steer lawmakers into doing business with Phoenix Solutions, a consulting business, Casada, then serving as the powerful Speaker of the Tennessee House, profited from, and Catherine secretly operated. They told lawmakers the firm was run by an experienced political consultant named Matthew Phoenix, a person who does not exist. Lawmakers' constituent mailing are paid from state funds that allocate $3,000 annually for each member. The 28-page indictment contained text message transcripts between Casada and Catherine. I think this is starting off well. I'm pleased, says a text from Casada to Catherine in December of 2019. Former Representative Robin Smith, a Hickson Republican and former chair of the state party, pled guilty in March in connection to the scheme. On the day after she resigned from office, her plea was tied to a cooperation agreement. I intend to cooperate fully as a witness with the federal government and do whatever I can to assist the government in this regard, she said at the time. Catherine resigned in 2019 after allegations of inappropriate behavior, including that he sent sexually explicit and racist text messages and used cocaine inside legislative offices, emerged. Hey there, folks. I hope you're enjoying the show. I want to remind you that we're a 100% listener-supported family of podcasts, all under the umbrella of the Heartland Pod. You can catch our flagship show, The Heartland Pod, on Mondays every week with Adam Summer, where he delivers an opening statement before being joined by Sean Diller and Rachel Parker for Talking Politics. You can also join a variety of our hosts on most Tuesdays and Thursdays for Let's Have a Chat, featuring interviews with folks of interest from around the Midwest. On Wednesdays, the focus shifts to a rotating cast of special reports, like The Delta, with Nicholas and Christina Linke, and High Country, Sean Diller's Western political updates. Learn more at heartlandpod.com, and don't forget, for full access to The Last, call episodes and the Heartland News blog. Sign up on Patreon as a podhead today. And now, the lightning round. Lightning round. Teacher strike in Ohio. For the first time in nearly 50 years in Columbus, Ohio, the Columbus Education Association has announced a strike. On Sunday, the union voted to go on strike after weeks of negotiation over new contract language with Columbus City Schools went nowhere. The union says it was pushing for guaranteed air conditioning, appropriate glass sizes and full-time art, music, and physical education teachers in the city's elementary schools. Union members in Columbus hit the picket line as the stalemate between the Columbus Education Association and the Columbus City Schools Board of Education continued. 98 degrees is a boy band, not a classroom temperature, said one such sign on the picket lines. Tim Ryan, the Democrat running for state senate, joined the line saying, our kids have lost so much ground, they need to get back in the classroom, but they can't learn in extreme temperatures, leaky buildings, or packed classes. On Thursday at 2.38 a.m., a conceptual agreement was reached, with details to be later disclosed. That will return teachers to the buildings on Monday. Dry pastures forced Texas ranchers to slaughter even more cows. With almost all of Texas in a drought, ranchers are sending ever more cattle off to slaughter, a trend that will likely increase beef prices over the long term due to dwindling supply from the largest cattle region in the United States. Since mid-July, more than 93% of Texas has been in drought. As of mid-August, more than 26% of Texas was at the highest level, characterized by widespread loss of pastures and crops as well as water shortages. While conditions are especially acute in Texas, about 54% of all U.S. cattle were in some form of drought as of August 16th, up from 36% a year earlier. Cattle slaughter is high nationwide, temporarily increasing the supply but portending tighter supplies in the future. Texas A&M University agricultural economist David Anderson said consumers can expect higher prices long-term due to what is happening in Texas. The pressure will be on for higher prices. Higher cattle prices, higher beef prices over the next several years as the effects of all this are felt. We're going to face tighter supplies of beef. And tighter supplies of beef with nothing else going on means higher prices. Iowa School Board votes to allow staff to carry guns in school. Spirit Lake Community Schools board members approved a program that will allow up to 10 on-campus staff members who are not classroom teachers to carry a concealed firearm. School board members approved the policy with a 4-0 vote, a move they say will help protect schools by responding quickly to active shooters. The staff members selected by the superintendent will remain anonymous and will be required to go through a screening and a certified 40-hour weapons training course. I don't know what's going through the minds of parents in that district, but I know I would be immensely uncomfortable with this prospect. Magic Mushroom Psychedelic May Help Heavy Drinkers Quit Psilocybin, found in several species of mushroom, can cause hours of vivid hallucinations. Indigenous people have used it in healing rituals, and scientists are exploring whether it can ease depression or help long-time smokers quit. It's illegal in the United States, though Oregon and several cities have decriminalized it. Starting next year, Oregon will allow supervised use by licensed facilitators. The new research, published Wednesday in JAMA Psychiatry, is the first modern rigorous controlled trial of whether it can also help people struggling with alcohol. In the study, 93 patients took a capsule containing the drug or a dummy medicine. They would lay on a couch, their eyes covered, and listen to recorded music through headphones. They received two such sessions, one month apart, and 12 sessions of talk therapy. During the eight months after their first dosing session, patients taking the pill did better than the other group. Almost half who took psilocybin stopped drinking entirely, compared with only 24% of the control group. And lastly, folks, Missouri is the only state to not allow grab and go meals. Missouri was the only state that did not allow a grab and go option for its summer food service program operators. The result was a dramatic drop in the number of meals that Missouri kids received, up to 97% fewer than last summer at some sites. Staff who served meals said it felt like their hands were tied. If meal site operators do not follow the rules of the federally funded program, their organizations do not get reimbursed for the meals they dole out. Yet it was clear, they said, that meals were not reaching everyone who needed them. Governor Parson's excuse? He had declared that we were in an endemic, no longer a pandemic. So essentially, it was time to get back to the good old days of teaching kids how easy it is, to go hungry in this state. We may have had the resources, but our leaders lacked the compassion. Well, folks, that's all the time we have this week. I want to thank you for joining us. If you feel you have a story that I should look into and possibly highlight on the show, please tweet me throughout the week at KevInMidMo or the pod's parent account at TheHeartlandPod. This week's episode featured reporting and information from NBC, Des Moines Register, Reuters, NPR, CNN, NBC4, The Tennessee Lookout, Market Watch, and Five on Your Side. Thanks for listening. The Flyover Review is a production of Midmap Media LLC. Learn more at www.heartlandpod.com or at the Heartland Pod on Twitter. See y'all next week.